0: All right. I think we're ready to do this thing.
1: Are we? Because if we are, then this is episode 219. That's uh, one more than the last time. So I guess we're recording now in the show's live. And Alan loves it when we start this way. Take a deep breath. Uh, yeah.
2: That's true. Uh, Alan loves and this. And
1: out. Groose And breathe out.
0: Is that what they said on Bad Boys? Groose Faba, Groose Faba, Something. Something faba. I don't know.
1: And we are recording. This is Coding Blocks. <laughs> Visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find our show notes.
0: <laughs> we'll blah, start blah, chopping blah. up onions in the background or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the- <Yeah. laughs> I was trying to like uh, channel my best NPR kind of voice, you know.
2: Very relaxing. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Very nice. Well, I'm Joe Zach. I'm Michael Outlaw. I'm Alan Underwood. And... For this episode, I thought a fun topic might be learn how to space proof your code. Have you ever wanted to do that? Have you ever even thought about that?
0: You mean on the moon type space or like Mars
1: or where are we talking about? What kind of space do you think I meant? Did you think I meant like, you know, space between like, hey, man, I need some space. We need some space. Step back. I I don't know. Step off. Step off. (laughs) That's the kind of space proofing code I'm writing is step Uh, off. See,
2: see. Okay. Well, that's if you believe in space. Yeah. I started getting uh, Facebook ads that like kind of make fun of like things like the earth being around and like the space shuttle being real. <laughs> and I live in central Florida, right? So I've seen many space shuttles my entire life going up. And I saw little uh, comments on Facebook of people questioning whether uh, anyone's ever actually seen a shuttle go up because they didn't quite believe that they were fast enough. Because look at them, don't they look dumb? And, and where did it actually go? Did you actually see where it went? I mean, I, it went out of my range of vision. <laughs> it was somewhere else. Big. I've seen them explode too. You know, I've seen them like you know uh, disappear. How
1: do you know it wasn't just an RC? You know, shuttle.
2: That's right. I mean, I was yeah, like just saying, you know, a couple I mean, miles away possible, from it, right?
0: Did they let you up next so. to it? This is all. It's all suspect. <laughs> it's true.
1: <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, this 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 is definitely taking a, a tan. That I didn't uh, account for. <laughs> so hey, we're off. We're off to a great start already. Then
2: hey, you're the one that brought up uh, fake moon. So whatever. All right. Did I bring it up though?
1: Okay. We'll go have to rewind it. <laughs> Fake moon. Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. There it was. <laughs> nice. Uh, so this all starts from uh, my son sent me this video a while back. I've been I've been holding on to this topic now for a while, but uh, he sent me this video that was pretty neat. It's on YouTube. There'll be a link to it in the in the notes, the show notes, which, by the way, if you don't uh, already know, you can go to codingblocks.net slash episode 219, and you'll be able to find the, uh, the show notes for this episode, which will include this link, but, uh, there's a video on YouTube called how NASA writes space proof code. And the, the idea here was that this, the video is based around this, um, set of rules that NASA has called the power of 10. And the idea behind these rule this set of rules is, is to help ease static analysis, but also like just more generally, you know, uh, write cleaner code, you know, easier to debug and things like that. But they, they heavily rely on static analysis for, for doing things. And, you know, really like the end goal being like, you're going to write code. that's going to run on some robot that is, you know, some obscene number of light years or, you know, whatever, something not light years, I guess, but you know, some nine months away from you. Right. And, You know, you're going to have extremely limited communication. So, you know, those robots need to work on their own, right? That is until like Megatron comes and gets them. Cause I I did see a documentary where that happened, but whatever. I digress. So documentary. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, uh, well, yeah, cause the Mars rover stopped communicating, but yeah, whatever. Um, so they're there. So there, we're going to discuss the simple, the, the 10 rules that they have. And some of these are going to be like, well, that seems kind of obvious, you know, but then some of them got a little bit more interesting as we go. So I'm going to throw them out there and then we'll discuss. So n- rule number one in, uh, NASA's power of 10 and, and, oh, by the way, I should add, you can easily Google NASA's power of 10 and you will find 8 billion Google results. And so I'm going to say these rules like rule number one, blah 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 blah. And some of the results that I found like the rules were in different orders. So, uh, you know, I, I tried to find a more official NASA link for it, and I, I I can't came up empty. So whatever. Rule number one: simple control flow. So, the, this is meaning you're not allowed to use statements like go to or set jump, long jump, which, okay, those, those all sound fine. But here, here, you know, because you're, you're going to think with those like, oh, well, that's going to be like super language dependent. But the big one here is recursion. No recursion. Right. Good riddance. Yeah. Some of these are going to be like that, right? Some, some of these are going to be like, yeah, I love that idea. Like no recursion, but, you know, you think about like all the trouble that you can get into with recursion. And we've talked about it in the past with like, um, you know, stack overflows and things like that, right? That you can get tr- the troubles that you can get into with recursion. But like, so the point that I'm trying to call out here is that some of these are going to seem very specific to a given language. And some of these are going to, are going to apply to all. And like the recursion one, applies to all, but like a go-to, you know, you're not really doing a lot of go-to in Java. Right. Um, <clears throat> okay. All right. Feedback comments, thoughts, rants. The recursion one's funny
0: because I just, I was almost writing something that was going to be recursive the
2: other day. And I was like, you know what? No, <laughs> no, I'll find another way. Yeah, no, the the deal is that most things that are recursive, there's an iterative way to to run it that's going to be much safer and is less likely to kind of uh, explode on you, at least in terms of, like, memory and frames, because just calling functions is expensive because the way the whole, you know, stack works. Like, each one is a frame, each one allocates memory. Like, uh, it's generally bad news if you can replace that with a variable. And so, like, all those kind of, like... Um, you know uh, what's it not fibonacci what's the one where it's like the it is fibonacci where like you can add the numbers up recursively like it's a beautiful algorithm recursively it's a terrible idea you're much better off just doing a loop but yeah. it always
1: feels so like you feel like you're in control of the matrix when you do it right like you feel yeah. like super cool and that's the problem is that there's some of these things that like you can feel super cool about doing it like like you're you're like really taking advantage of what the, the, the power of whatever that framework is. And yet they're still like, well, yeah, I mean, you can, right. Should you, well,
0: no. you, you know, on that topic, the reason why I ended up stepping away from it was because I, I think I was doing something in JavaScript. I, I don't even remember exactly, but I was like, you know what? Let me just find out what's the max depth of a stack here. I don't think that it's going to be that large for, for my needs. But I started reading and they're like, well, some of them do 10,000, some of them do less. So, and when I say some of them, we're talking about the engine. So it's like, you're not even guaranteed a certain number across that particular, you know, stack or whatever. I was like, you know what? All right, I'm done. I, I will go the iterative way. Just like Joe, Joe said, you know, there's, there's other ways to do the same thing and usually way easier. It just seems like, oh, it'd be real cool if I could do this. And then you're like, no, it's,
1: it's not. So, rule number two limit all loops to a fixed upper bound. So, uh. think about like anytime you've ever done, like, uh, you know, while this variable is true, do something, right? But in their rules here, not you wouldn't just do that, you'd say, like, while that is true and my iteration count hasn't exceeded whatever my maximum is. And so the example that was given was like, think of a linked list traversal, right? You could easily say like, hey, while the next uh, node is not null, continue reading, right? But to prevent it from going out of control, right? Then you also add in this, this boundary check on it as well. And you know, they, they specifically say that like, hey, if uh, if the if a tool can't prove that the the loop bound statically, then the rule is considered violated. Right. Okay. I, I get
0: I get that. Could you back up a second? I don't know if I missed it or, or where it was. This power of ten is I see that you have to ease static analysis. Like
1: what what do we mean there? We're going to, we're, this is going to be like a common theme through all of these, but like using a static code analysis tool mm-hmm. against this, right? These are all efforts so that those types of tools, right, can more easily review your code, right? oh, Okay. So in Got the it. past, we've talked about like, um, uh, oh man, it just slipped my mind. The, like, um, the .NET one starts with the N. Independent. Independent. Thank you. And then I think SonarQube might be another one. Yeah. Um, or maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, um, no, no, Sonar this.
0: No Q Sonar. No SonarQube. One is the music software. The other one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> SonarQube with the is the software one. Yeah. There you
1: go. Um. But yeah, so the idea is that you know anything that you can do to better analyze your code, you know, with these tools, then, uh, you know, it's going to help to improve your code, right? Okay. Okay. And so, so some of the, some of these operations. Sorry to interrupt, but some of these operations that you might do, like recursion, make it dramatically more dif- difficult, or drastically more difficult for those those static analysis tools to analyze your code.
0: Okay. And so we're saying by also limiting, you know, the the length of whatever kind of loop that's running at that point, you can also dramatically or drastically reduce the possibility that you're going to get into an infinite loop. Don't even have to check for it because it's going to be done.
1: Bingo. You're not going to get into an infinite loop because you have a boundary on it.
0: Yep. Okay.
1: So some of these, yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, they're doing these things, I guess, because you're writing software, like you said, for things that are going to be, you know, thousands of miles away and, you may not be able to control it at that point, so it needs to be able to do simple things to recover. Is is I guess the whole point of this,
2: right? And predictable. I think predictable. It's like part yeah. of it's like, yeah, maybe you th- maybe there's some sort of problem with the linked list or something, but we still need other systems to function, and we don't want to starve like the I don't know the oxygen software because the fuel software has a linked list with you know something. So like we need to keep things moving.
1: It's interesting that you chose the word predict. Because that's a great segue into rule number three, oh, here we go. which is do not use heap memory. So, you know, th- their, their examples, a lot, of, a lot of the code here was, you know, and NASA's rules are largely based around the C language. So, you know, there's no need for the use of malloc or free in this case, but instead only rely on the stack memory right? And the reason why I called out, uh, your use of the word, uh, predict was that it makes it easier to predict how much memory your application is going to need if you're not, uh, dynamically allocating memory on the heap. But also what they called out was that, you know, there, I think they used the, the phrase, the, the video used the word notable, but you know, there's quite a few memory bugs that exist due to the use of the heap and garbage collection, right? So uh, various memory leaks, use after free is a special type of uh, error, heap overflows, heap exhaustion, all of those problems go away if you say, nope, you can't use the heap. You can only use the stack.
0: And if you're only looking at the stack, that's really easy to analyze to find out exactly how much RAM
1: you need. Exactly. Because you're only using that static uh, and static and applications that make use of the heap cannot be proven by a static analyzer. But to your point, you know, the flip, the flip side then exists. They can easily analyze stack use. So, yeah, we're we're like tiptoeing towards
2: like formal software proofs, you know, like that. We're we're reducing the problem set to where we can get to make just focus on predictability. So, like the heap, like that could cause problems in the function I'm running now just because I'm out of heap space, which has nothing to do with the the thing I'm trying to, to run right now. Right. But if I eliminate the heap, then things should run consistently. And so, as long as there's enough memory for me to allocate this on the stack, then it should run the same way every time.
1: Yeah. So, by only using stack memory, including the upper boundaries where necessary that I mentioned before you can compute exactly the amount of memory your application will need, right? There's, you're removing the guesswork out of this sort of thing, right? You're saying like, Hey, you go into this function. This is the amount of memory it needs, right? And it can now be proven by a static uh, analysis, you know, and bonus by only using the stack, you eliminate the possibility of the previously mentioned uh, memory bugs,
0: and for those who don't know, quick refresher, right? The heap is where objects go, and the stack is where any variables within a method call are are put, right? Like, so if you have, if you define a variable or something inside or is passed into your method,
1: I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't phrase it that way because you could have objects that are definitely in the stack, right? But, It's, it's going to be a matter of like, if you had, if you had a string, like if you had a, I'm thinking in like terms of C++, right. And you had a class that had all primitive data types like integers, right. That could easily sit in the, in the stack. But if it had a a string pointer, then that pointer is going to be off into the heap, but the pointer itself would be in the stack. Right.
2: Right, so yeah, the thirty-two bit or sixty-four bit pointer is going to be, uh, you know, reliably allocated on the stack whatever that function is called. And once I suppose the function exits, all the memory is automatically reclaimed. You don't have to worry about yeah. anything dangling or whatever.
1: Yeah, so, so, but, but that example of like that class where the pointer is pointing to the heap, though, is an example of what you wouldn't want to do per NASA's power of ten rules. Right, right? you you would you would want to shy away from, uh, you know, things like that. So. Um, and, and some of this, like, you know, to be fair, cause it's been a minute since I've done any C and C plus type programming. Right. It's like, Hmm. Okay. Like I actually like looked up some of the stuff. I was like, wait, how's that? Wait, it's been a while. How does that work? So some of this, I'm like, man, I don't know how you get around some of these things. Like, like the, the, the string example, you know, like, I'm like, how do they get around that? You know, Probably I mean, I guess you could sequence, like, right? you know, a fixed, a fixed size, you know, but yeah, um, again, it, it's, it's been too long for me to, to, to know on some of that. Yeah. Right.
0: It's file. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that they're going to want that either
1: <laughs> to do what? What was that to write to a file. Uh, right to a file? Yeah, sure. They'd love that. Now, um, yeah. And, and like, I ran out of time cause I was like putting these notes together before we record. So like I said, I, I, did, you know, have to go back and look at some of them, but some of them I didn't have time. So that, that was an example of one I didn't have to go. I didn't have time to go back and find, but, um, okay. So, so far pretty interesting, right? Like, you know, I mean, yeah. the, the heap one was my favorite uh, of them and, uh, you know, but the next one I was like, okay, well this one's, this one's going to sound familiar, right? Rule number four, limit your function sizes. So going back to the old school classic, you know, functions should only do one thing, but it might require multiple steps. Now this is very consistent with like the uncle Bob series of books and other best practices and principles that we've talked about over the years. Right. And, and uncle Bob takes it to a more extreme. Like, you know, I think he had like three lines, like, you know, you shouldn't have a method any more than three lines. And you know, NASA doesn't restrict it to that. Their, their recommendation is that functions should be limited to 60 lines or whatever can fit on a single printed page. And the reason for this limitation is that, well, there's a couple of reasons. One is that it makes it easier for someone reviewing your code to be able to read that entire function and understand it in its entirety without having to like flip back and forth. Right. They can just look at it on the screen and be like, okay, I see what you're doing there. Right. So that that's number one, number two though. And this is kind of going back to the old school classic, you know, principles that we've talked about over the years because you've had to make it smaller. That also, uh, maybe inadvertently made it easier to make that method testable. Right. So, you know, you, you had, you got this like side effect that you might not have intended, And like, I, I, I kind of wrote this joke about like, it's not just some meandering 2000 line long function with 18 levels of nesting. Right. Because at some point in every one of our careers, we've all seen those types of, those types of files where like you open up some class or some, uh, some file and you're like, why is this thing? 12,000 lines long. Wait, it's yeah. all one method. You know, like, so, so, and those are like really hard to read. Right. So rule number four is to limit all that, but also very, you know, like we've talked about that one before. Uncle Bob, uh, this was another one of the ones up there in terms of like my favorites. So, um, rule number five is hide your data. So there was a quote in the video, um, and I wasn't sure if like this quote, if the if the video author was you know trimming it somewhere else. But so I wanted to be careful to call it out, like, hey, you know, um, uh, I'm quoting the video, and the video might be quoting something else. But data hiding is a technique of hiding internal object details. Data hiding restricts the data access to class members, and it maintains data integrity. The idea here is to declare your variables as close as possible to where they are used at the lowest possible scope. So think of an example where you have a function and maybe inside of that function, you have a loop and maybe inside of that loop, you could even have like a, another conditional, like an if statement or something right there, wherever you need, if the lowest point that you need that variable, if it was inside that, if rather than this disc- Declaring it up above at the top level of the function, instead, declare it at the lowest level inside of that if statement, for example. In that way, you're reducing its that variable scope. Now, that's also you know going to be language dependent, right? Because JavaScript did the the hoisting for you. Um, so let's ignore that example from them because again, we're living in NASA's C world here. So in this case we, we get into like, what was it? Like ECMAScript 2015, where you could do the lets and, you know, so that you, so that JavaScript would, um, honor those, those lowest scopes. So by doing this, you get a couple benefits of it. Right. Um, first it reduces the amount of code that can access that, access those variables. Right. But, Maybe more importantly, is that by reducing those number of touch points and the number of places that could possibly change that variable's value, when when it comes time for you to debug it, because you're like, hey, how did it get that crazy value? By limiting that, it aids your ability to debug it, right? Because you're like, oh, well, this that it that that variable is only defined inside of this if statement, which is inside of this for loop, you know, so. You know, that's oh, slick. Yeah. Yeah. So I think so far, in terms of like these rules, the not using the heap was probably my favorite. The hiding data was second. And then, um, you know, the recursion, not, you know, simple control flow is probably third so far. You know, it's
0: funny. Like, I, I would say that mine, one of my favorite was the uh, limit all loops to a fixed upper bound because it's amazing how easy you can get in a runaway situation and not even realize it, you know? Um, but this last one, the Hydra data, that's something that I've always kind of done over the years, right? Like, if there's something that I need set, like, I guess just internally, and it makes sense. And I think the whole reason I ended up doing it was for debugging, right? Like, how many times in your early career did you have things getting set all over the place? So you're like, how did that get that value? And and you, you realize that you had sort of leaked its implementation all over the place, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, another way to interpret that one though, is if we get into like an object oriented world, right? It kind of makes you want to shy away from using member variables. Because then their scope is, like, every method can potentially touch and alter totally. them, right? Yeah, totally. So, you know, again, they, they, this was more from a C perspective, so that's not really a problem for them. But, um, you know, just just trying to, like, okay, how can I take some of these principles and apply it to my day job, which is not writing for a robot <laughs> in C, in space? Uh, space robots. I like these so far. They make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they would be interesting to to review. Um and and you know, I say review because a lot of these like are things that we've probably talked about in various topics related to like a uh, Uncle Bob or something. Or maybe we haven't thought about or ever like really formally like described, but you know, like to your point about the data hiding, you know, like it's just something that a practice you put together, you know, like you fell into by mistake, right? Without like really formally defining it so um okay
2: so yeah, well you know uh of reviews uh, i just googled to see uh you know what the deal is with reviews because it's been a while uh since i've seen, you know since, just saying just, you know, been a while since we have got one uh it turns out uh that five star reviews are the best <laughs> they're really good actually they're really good for podcasts they really help us out a lot and uh You can only give yourself so many of them. (laughs) So so I was hoping uh, if you're out there uh, listening right now, you could hook us up with a review too because it really helps us with the show. And, uh, yeah, I've I've hit the limit. Uh, And so uh, that would be really great. We've got a URL set up, uh, codingbox.net slash reviews, where you can go and click a link and drop uh, uh, a five-star review would be great if you could hook us up with that. And um, we've got a couple links there to try and make it easy for you. And uh that yeah, five stars would be great. Thank you. Wait
1: a you. minute. No, no, no. Alan likes the three stars. No, right? that's, not, no it, my,
2: that's never that's never come out of this man's mouth. Three mouth. three stars, right? Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It says I thought hat five. tricks
1: were good things. I thought that's what I'm confused now.
2: Hey, I will say so
0: we didn't actually have a review on the episode, but um ironically enough, man, this is so bad. I am, I am terrible at this. So is it I got a proper na-
1: name, a noun, Well, proper noun.
0: No, no, it's more just dealing with social media stuff. So I apparently got a message on LinkedIn in July of 2022. <laughs> Thank us for doing the podcast. It was like sort of a mini review. And, uh, I replied the other day, a year. Very timely of you, sir. Right. A year and some months later, you know, what's funny is when I saw this message the other day, I was like, oh man, I'm like a couple months late. I didn't realize I was like a couple years late, but you know, Hey, if you want to reach out to us that way too, that's really awesome. You know, um, thank you. Anybody who takes the time to, to send us in some, some love for the, uh, 10 years. Hey, have you guys been getting a bunch of, uh, LinkedIn happy anniversaries? Um, for, for the podcast.
1: No, but I am glad that you call that out. Cause I w- I was meaning to mention that the 10th year anniversary of coding blocks went by and we didn't even like mention it. We, we did. And it depends on like how you decide to count it. Right. Yep, yep. Like, cause I went back looking and I was like, okay, there's when we actually formed, you know, the, the, the LLC behind it or versus when we released the first episode versus when we first set up the website and the first post versus when we first got together and recorded because we recorded before anything was, was, you know, ready. Right. We started and we recording. We ended
0: up doing it right. Like so, we recorded and we were like, Hey, this is still
1: a decent idea. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do it. So my point is, is like no matter what metric you choose to use as like the birthday for it, we passed it. We totally 16 candles that thing, forgot all about it. Nobody paid us any attention. And, yeah, there's a John That's Hughes true. reference for you.
0: Well, we know Outlaw knows what day the first episode it was published on the website. Uh, Jay-Z, do you know? No. See, I, I was wrong, too. I would have thought it would have been, like, September 20th.
1: I thought it was August so, something.
0: No. no? Se- oh, you were wrong. Look at that. September 9th, 2013. <clears throat> The very first episode is published by Joe Zach.
1: No, 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 no. I thought it was you published published the very first Oh, you said episode. Episode. I okay, I was thinking the first article on the website. Oh no, I don't even know what that is. Because that that one predates uh that one and that's the um it was like a interface guardrails. yeah
0: i is for interface
1: was number one that's the episode i'm talking about the article though i don't even know how many
0: pages i'd have to go deep here but all right so yes at any rate we all missed it but thank you to everybody who's reached out and been like hey you know congrats um i think we're one of the few granddaddy uh podcasts still around so back in my day right seriously it's uh
1: it's pretty yeah, awesome. A bit, a bit. So so do we get like bumper stickers like my podcast can beat up your podcast or something? Like is that, <laughs> yeah, that working uh, uh, Did
2: I never show did I ever show you that? I have a uh, it's uh crap what's say? it say that says uh my podcast is smarter than your honor student. August fifteenth. <laughs> oh, <15th, laughs> interfaces I just got as guardrails. Dang it.
0: Isn't that crazy? August fifteenth. Michael for the win. How about the heck that's crazy, man? Told you.
1: August.
2: Yeah, actually, yeah, I have that uh, that sticker on my car, but it's hard to see because of all the other just like you know anti moon stuff and whatever else I got on there, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and all the tinfoil kind of covers it up. But I, I do get a couple comments sometimes. <laughs> the tinfoil covers. It.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, okay, That's amazing. All right, so yeah, I, we'll have that to must work out. well in that Florida heat too. All the tinfoil yeah, no, no. on your car, yeah, yep. it's, it's got to be good.
0: I I was, you good. know, I'm
2: saying I get a lot of looks. You know, what I'm saying
0: you causing that's the global warming with that tinfoil, sir.
2: That's what's up <laughs> <laughs> down there in Florida. <laughs> yeah, I get a lot of second looks. That's all I'm saying. Uh, they see me rolling.
1: Okay. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. This is episode 219, according to Trademark Rules of Engagement. Alan, you are first. You are on a losing streak. I don't mean to, you know, shame anyone, but, you know, technically.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So... Your choices are, this is a, uh, oh yeah, we still haven't come up with a, a name for this, but um, you know, I, we got a I always, bunch of good ones. I always got a bunch like, of good suggestions. Okay. Oh, let's, hear it. let's hear Let's hear
2: Yeah. You. Oh, uh, it's going to take me a second to find it. Um, okay.
1: Episode discussion. Slack has a ton of great names. You, you, you look that up and uh, I'm going to give the topics out here. All right. See what I did there or multi lovely oh <laughs> or <laughs> that's one of the <laughs> that was a topic <laughs> okay that book you've been re- meaning to read or at the store or going through some cycles or the edwardian era why oh, am i saying that right ed edwardian i think i said it right yeah or the a list where the A is the first letter of each response. So, those are your
0: topics. Well, I don't like any of these. Um, let's do at the store, okay? And we'll go. We'll go middle of the road three. Three, Boy, you level four. three. Keep going with a three. Let's go four.
1: Oh, Just here bump we go. it up one. Four. That's
0: four. Here we at go at the
1: store. This convenience store took its name in nineteen forty-six from the extended hours between which its stores were open. Seven Eleven, what? Bingo, is? booyah! Wow, nice. What is Seven Eleven? He didn't even hesitate on that one. Well, kind of, but not for long. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would have probably struggled on that one. It's like, wait a minute, uh Walmart <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> took its name from the hours.
0: Yeah, I was like, how is that
1: possible? I thought it was named after the guy. It was like Walton or something. Uh, that's okay. amazing. Uh All right, Joe, you got the names ready.
2: Yeah, I got a, a couple of them. Uh, so Scott uh, Scott Harden mentioned uh, mental blocks. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, yeah that. Since, like sometimes it's hard to... You know, That's pretty accurate. When you're yeah. Spot. yeah. yeah. Uh, Graham asked ChatGPT, and uh, here's a couple suggestions. I'll just blast them real quick. Uh, code Challenge Clash, Coding Blocks Conundrum, Algorithm Arena, Binary Brain Teasers, uh, Debugging dual, Code Craft Quiz, Stack Overflow, Showdown, uh, Dev Duel, Jeopardy Edition... Codemasters Challenge and Byte Battle Coding Edition.
1: Some of those weren't bad. Yeah, those yep. were, I, I gotta say that the mental blocks, like, kind of yeah. uh, keeping with the theme of coding blocks and, you know, the listeners being blockheads and yeah. a human one.
2: Again, yeah, I'll take it. Even one. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. And also, uh, I suffer from mental blocks. Yeah. Like, right now, even. What?
1: <laughs> well, you're going to have to get over it, because you need to think of uh, which category you want to choose from next. Historic okay, ships. Number two. Oh, fra- <laughs> okay, go ahead. Historic ships. Historic ships. The Bible. A trip to the museum. Body part phrases. Musical theater. Or... Driving in LA. Oh, geez. And since you said the Bible. No, just kidding. <laughs> that was yeah, category two.
2: That was for the last one. Uh, so uh, let's go with body body part phrases. Okay.
1: One, two, three, four, five. What kind of level you want to go with it? I mean, seven, eleven. So I'm going to go with two. <laughs> two? Okay. I mean, Alan stepped his game up. But yeah, sure. We'll go two. That's yeah, fine. No shame there. Body part phrases. To fall in love in a surprisingly complete manner is to do so this way, mentioning body parts on two extremes. What is head over heels? So lame. That so is lame correct. Easy. That is correct. Oh, man. <sighs> Got it. High game. This is interesting. Yeah. Now. Here we go. Here we go. This is, I, I wonder, yeah, you would have gotten, you would have gotten number four, by the way. Had you, had you decided to like man up and, and go for the fourth. Oh, I didn't mean to shame you when I said that, but oh, yeah,
2: I feel well, what's number five then? Cause I'm going to get that one too.
1: Oh, well, we're, we're moving on. <laughs> he said, yeah. no, <laughs> Yeah, you'll never know. Okay. Fine. All right. For damn. the spirit of it, I'll read it real quick. The fourth one, this is why I was saying you would have gotten this one from world war two came a reminder to be careful what you say around others because these sink ships. Loose lips. There you go. And the Uh, fifth one was, when you need to concentrate on your ultimate goal, remember to keep this a rhyming phrase involving visual organs. um, Visual organs and the eyes. What was the... Eyes on the prize. There you go. Eyes on the prize. Uh, All right. So uh, for round three, back to you, Alan. You get to pick the category. Your choices are... Brush up your Hebrew. Don't laugh at me. Historic events. A trip on the Gulf Stream. Oh, God. He's going to pick this one. Sports stars. Oh, there it is. American folklore and legends. Or computer science with Matt Amadio. I guess well, we got to do computer science, don't we? Yeah. I'm saying that one wrong for,
0: sure. for the even first though, mental blocks winner. Even though I feel like sports is is better. You're <laughs> yeah. allowed to pick
1: whatever you want to pick, but this, Matt and um, man, I'm probably, you know how I am with proper nouns. Matt. You're good. Amadio is a jeopardy, super champ and Yale PhD focusing on artificial intelligence and machine learning. And uh yeah, so these are these are questions from him. So let's do
0: <clears> computer <throat> science. Let's go middle of the road because I'm not a ML guy.
1: Okay. Here we go. In this code that's the basis for digital computing, my beloved Cleveland Guardians would have retired Bob Feller's number one zero zero one one and Jim Thorne's one one zero zero one. What is binary? That is the correct answer. I get it. I can't believe that was a level three. What was level four? These are all like this. Is it? What? How deep do you think they're going to get on? Like, I don't know, but that celebrity was like, Jeopardy. Do you really? Did you really think that they were gonna Like, okay, given this linked list, I mean, anything. I don't know. I feel like cheated. And number four, a statistician who annoyed some computer scientists by budding into our field, John Turkey turn. Yeah. Turkey came up with this eight letter word for the programs that tell a computer what to do. Algorithm.
0: Oh, uh, not algorithm. Uh, assembly. No, 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 no. I don't know. What is it? Software. So- oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we you, lose. All right. You want to just those. go down
1: this, the computer science one just for kicks. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Let's do it before the hard disk era, the storage of data or programs known as this word took more cumbersome forms like huge circular drums and reels bearing hundreds of feet of tape.
0: I was going to say tape.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I don't know.
2: What is real to real? No. What was, I forgot the first part of the question, Uh, mental blocks. Uh, I
1: mean. Memory. Yeah. Memory. Memory. Oh, Oh, man. Able to recognize patterns and help solve problems. Neural networks are designed in imitation of this roughly three pound item. Your brain. That's right. The human brain. Uh, Let's see. We did that one. We did that one. Last one. This word means a procedure for solving a computational problem. It can be simple, like the steps of long division or complicated, like the ones search engines use to deliver results.
0: And Alan got it. Jay-Z got it on question
2: number two or three or something. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to count the letters. (laughs) I got so excited about saying it
1: wrong. Yeah. So, all right. So back to NASA's power of 10. So... (laughs) Uh, think of like, what was, uh, um, oh shoot. The Looney Tunes character, uh, that blasted blah, blah, blah. What was his name? Uh, Oh, Markets. Yosemite Sam, Yosemite Sam. So I thought I had like Yosemite Sam in mind when I wrote this, like check the blam, blam, blam return values, right? NASA didn't quite put it that way. They had a more elegant way of saying it, but how many times, okay, think about this. How many times have you ever been bitten by code that makes some call, even a shell script, right? Uh, or or a, a command on the command line, you know, uh, in a shell where the call failed, but the return value that would have saved you wasn't checked?
0: Many, many, many times.
1: It happens to everyone throughout their career. Like, it's just a thing, right? So the rule here is, check the return values of everything that returns something so in other words if the method returns void fine you're excused this time but always check them all of them and they go so far as to say that if you explicitly want to ignore a return value such as like if you did call a printf in the example that was given right that would return back you know a result you have to explicitly cast the return to void so that a reviewer of your code knows that you do not care about that particular return value. That's and, pretty interesting. And if you fail to either check a return value or cast it to void, it'll be brought up during the code review. That's pretty good. I mean, it's pretty awesome. I think is what you meant to say. But also, yeah. like, as a code reviewer, think about, like, now you have to have this, like, you know, like, m- memory map of, like, okay, here are the functions that return back something, and what that return type is, versus here are the ones that don't return back anything, you know. It's very explicit now. You, you know, exactly. Yeah. But this is why I was saying, like, the the mental map thing, though, is like, well, what if it returns back? like an int 64 and you're going to put it in like an int 16 space, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, those types of issues that could come up, come about. Um, I don't know. I don't know how far they take it, but that was at least their, their example was you had to check it and it might be okay if you're not like trying to store that into another, that result into another variable. But if you are putting it into another variable, then that's where like, you know, type coercion could become an issue maybe i actually like this quite a bit i mean we ran
0: into something like this not terribly long ago from a bash script right there was a bash command that did something that was returning something that you didn't know about and then it failed you're like
1: why is it failing then you go look and you're like oh it has a return code i wasn't checking it well that's why that's why i called out specifically like i was like oh like we could even apply this to shell scripts and things like that like you know um, again, their, their examples and, and talk of this was more in regards to C, but you know, I don't know. I, I'm sure they have, they make use of some scripts on their, uh, you know, it's probably all Linux underneath. It's probably got some cron job, like restart, you know, whatever <laughs> on Sundays reboot, you know, somebody reboot that scripts. machine. You have to yeah.
2: remember to trap errors or else it's very easy to think something succeeded and it actually failed on line one yes. and everything else just kept running. Yeah. Nice.
1: So uh, rule number seven, the use of preprocessors, uh, d- the use of the preprocessor is very limited. So this one's definitely going to be, you know, depending on like what your, your type of language is, right? So like in a JavaScript world, you're probably not going to, come across this one. Although I don't know if node, if you're doing like server side node kind of stuff, if you can make use of any kind of preprocessor declarations, but I'm gonna assume not since JavaScript isn't uh you know compiled. All right. Uh it's just interpreted. But NASA limits the use of C preprocessors to only file inclusions in very simple macros. Right. And they have this quote in here to, to justify why. And the quote is, the C proce- preprocessor is a very, is a powerful obfuscation tool that can destroy code clarity and befuddle many text based checkers. Which was, you know, they, they were, their use of text based checkers here is another way of them saying static code analysis. But basically the idea here is that. I don't know how advanced you guys or how far you guys have ever taken preprocessor uh, definitions, Ugh. but you can, you can get pretty crazy with them. Right. And, you know, uh, in terms of like really muddling up the code, like what, what's actually happening here. Right. So specifically they call out conditionals that can change the code at compile time are called out as a no, no. Right. So, They gave this example uh, in the video that if you had 10 different flags that can be changed at compile time, then you have two to the 10 build targets that need to be tested.
0: Makes sense.
1: So in other words, those those preprocessor conditionals can exponentially increase your testing requirements. So, where
0: I can think of this outside of C is you remember when we were like heavily talking about aspects and things like that. That's the same type thing, right? It's going through your, um, I can't even think of what it's called, your interpreted language, your IL code, and it would do what was called IL interweaving. And that's, that's changing your compiled code a little bit, but it's after the fact. That would be, so I guess that's a little bit different. Yeah.
1: Aspects, I would imagine that that um, it's not called out in the power of 10, but I would imagine that that type of idea would be against what NASA is going after here because of the, the the common argument against aspect oriented programming is the obfuscation that happens. And you're like, well, I didn't even know that this other thing was happening before or after my code. So I would imagine that that would be a, um, frowned upon within NASA. But here we're talking about like the, the, the example that came to mind was in uh, previous episodes. I remember we talked about, um, I don't remember which episode off the top of my head, but it was a, a feature flag reference. And like if
0: def stuff is what you're talking about, the pre compiler stuff.
1: Yes. Yes. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And we talked about like one of the ideas, I ah, f- ah, forget which book or, or, topic we were talking about at the time, but it had, it had caught out the idea of using um, these types of preprocessor flags as a way to turn off, uh, you know, code that you didn't want live in production yet. Right. But that way you could be shipping it. And if you wanted to test with it, then you could turn that thing on by the simple use of a, of a preprocessor definition, right? That's an example of what NASA doesn't want you to do. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of sense. So, rule number eight. Now, Hmm. think back to the pointer, the the heap one that we talked about before. Pointer use is restricted. So, there was a quote here, and it said, no more than one level of dereferencing should be used. Dereference operations may not be hidden in macro... Definitions or inside type def declarations. And this was an example of one that I was like, okay, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I, I had to think back to like, okay, what does it mean to dereference a pointer in, uh, in, in C for example. Right. And, you know, depending on like some of the answers are basically talking about like the the, um, where was it? There was one, let me see. I want to quote this correctly. This one uh answer on Stack Overflow. Oh, I can't find it now. Um you want to access the data value in your memory, then that's the that's the dereference to it, right? To access the value or to set the value of it. But what they're saying here is your Think about like the code, the 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 syntax that you would write to access to dereference that pointer to to set or read that value, right? So, in like a C sharp, uh, I'm sorry, in a C language, you might use like the uh, the arrow operator to get to that uh that value, right? In here, the example that they gave is that you would, you would only do that dereference one time and set it to a variable. And then everywhere else you're, you're using that, that variable inside to read, to read it. Does that make more sense? And so that's what they meant by like, you're only allowed to dereference it the one time.
0: Yeah. It gets tricky. I remember C++ and C being nasty in that regard. Like you could really shoot yourself in the foot if you didn't know what you were doing.
1: Well, and that's, they specifically caught out. This is because pointers, you know, albeit powerful, they're easy to misuse. And so if you limit yourself to only dereferencing that pointer one time, right? Sure. You can use or change its value, but like you only get to do it that one time, then you like, severely, you know, limit the times that you could mess up. Right. And they also called, called out that their the pointer restrictions aren't just to, to variables. They also include not using function pointers. And the reason here was because that can severely obfuscate the control flow of your application, right. As well as make it more difficult for static code analysis of your application. So,
2: Go ahead, Jay oh, I was just gonna agree with that. Like, uh, it seems like just having that one level of indirection is all it takes to like really screw with things in order to kind of point, you know, point them at things other than what you intended. Does it sound to you guys like they
0: basically only allow functional programming at this point? Like, yeah, that's oh, what
1: it sounds like. It that okay? So it's funny you say that because I definitely heavily thought of that too. Like it, it's definitely, you know, if you're limiting the ends and the inputs and the outputs, like, you know what you can and can't do in it, then you do kind of get more into functional programming. And then by extension, that makes it easier to write test code around. Yeah. Right.
0: Um, There's no state being stored anywhere. I mean, usually your state is stored in your heap, right? That's, that's kind of what you do with OO level applications. And, you can't use the heap. You're only using the stack, which means things are getting added and pulled off every time, which means the only place where it sounds like there would be any memory for state would be the main control loop, right? So it sounds very, very functional to me just in terms of what they're describing here.
1: Yeah. And this is how our robot overlords are going to work. They're going to be very fun math, all math. Um, so Think about this, though. How many times, how much code have you ever written or taken advantage of that allowed you to pass in a callback function? Oh, lots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were passing in a function pointer, and you're not going to be able to do that here. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. No JavaScript at NASA. Yeah. So So, like, that's why I'm saying, like, some of these ideas were, like, restricted to, you know, the language, like I said, the preprocessor is an example, like you're not going to run into that in a JavaScript world, right? But some of these are like applicable to everywhere. And I thought that was a pretty cool one, you know, about like, you know, not doing function pointers. Um, cause even though in like m- a lot of modern languages, like, uh, the Java based languages or, uh, C sharp, for example, like you don't really get access to the pointers. So you don't really think about them, right? But function pointers. I mean, those happen. Right. So uh, here's number nine. Compile in. Let me see if I can pronounce this right. Pandemic mode there. I got it. Nailed it. First try. (laughs) So what the idea here is that you want to compile with all warnings and Basically, it's because this, is this is the idea of like treating your warnings as errors, too, right? By- Wait, hold up. Hold up. You didn't seriously say the word the way that it was said, right? Pedantic. Isn't that what I said?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, now I'm not sure which one's right. They both throw them wrong.
1: I, sa- I, I, I said, that's what I said. Say it again? Pedantic. Pedantic. That's what I said. <laughs> what do you think I said? You yeah, what- did say that. What do you think I
0: said? <laughs> <laughs> Pedemic. Oh, so no, like, I wouldn't have said that. That
1: sounds silly. Pedantic.
0: <laughs> pedantic is yes. that's what, all. That's totally run. what that I right? said. My brain shut down like straight up. Like <laughs> it's like
1: wait. He just he kept going. All yeah. Right, so compile in pandemic mode, and <laughs> <laughs> this way you get the compiler will let you know all warnings right because uh, all of the warnings are going to be enabled. So every time that any time that the compiler sees anything that it could possibly alert on, it's going to it's going to issue that alert to you. Right. And treating your warnings as errors and address them before you release the code. Right. So, you know, I'm trying to think it was a good example, but like, um, you know, there's, there's times where like, you've seen those compiler type warnings where it's like, Oh, warning, this could potentially overflow or something like that. Or, you know, I'm trying to think of like something that a, a visual studio or IntelliJ might warn you of that. Like it lets you get away with some stuff. Is the point like when you have a line that runs too long. Like when you say, <laughs> when you say uh, pandemic mode and your friend doesn't like say, Oh, did you mean this? And you're like, no, that's not what I said. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> Antic. That said it right. The first time. Oh, it hurts. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I know that we like, okay, do you remember years ago we were working on a project where, there was like an obscene number of, of warnings, just like warnings. 8, <laughs> no, it was, it was a, you know, it was a strong five digit number. My friend,
0: Was it, really? it, it was, it-, it was,
1: yeah. Oh yeah. Strong five digit number. And, you know, prior to us joining though, like that was just, they were like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's not an error. Right. right. Yeah. Until eventually like we, you know, the team started whittling away at those. And then at some point we we're like, Okay, I think we're finally at a point, and it was years in the making, we're finally at the point to where we can turn on the capability, uh, the pandemic mode, where we could, we could treat these as <laughs> errors, and then make fun of our friends when they mispronounce a word live <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not you know, not pointing any fingers, but if I was, uh, yeah, no, you know, I mean, you know probably I think be, you said it right the first you know, time. I, I don't yeah. know
0: who would do that. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm sure I would have heard about it from somebody. Yeah. Uh, what did, did I really say? Did it, how did I say it? I swear, as aluminum.
0: Okay. <laughs> aluminum. See, that sounds right to me. I hear it,
1: and I'm like, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. It's, it sounds cooler okay. for sure. Um, you know, what was interesting, there was an example on Stack Overflow on this pedantic thing and, and somebody was asking about that flag with ANSI with the C plus plus type thing. And they said that like it'll complain about anything that goes over 509 characters because everything needs to accept that. And if you go over that, then not everything out there that compiles in that can do it. So that's why it throws warnings, right? Or, or errors in that regard. Is because it may work right here, but it may not work on the next thing that you try and port this code to or this compiled compiled stuff to. So
1: it's pretty yeah. cool. So, uh, last but not least, at least according to the video, and like I said, uh, some of these I didn't see. Um, actually, I am taking a quick check. Oh, so this is where it gets different. So according to the video, the last one was to just analyze and test your code and that at NASA, they use multiple static code, uh, analyzer tools to do it because, you know, they don't all work the same. Some of them will have different rules that they will use. And I, I think that we even ran into that as a recommendation before, um, that was talked about, um, Oh, shoot. Maybe when we were going through the DevOps handbook, maybe there, there was talking, there was talk of that before though, because, um, of this very reason, like depending on like how you would configure some of them and they, they would highlight different things. But obviously the big one here though, is to test, 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 test. So preferably you're using some kind of automated testing of your code, like unit tests or integration tests, but test it, test it, test it, test it, test it. Cause literally lives could be on the line here. Right. So, um, now I say that according to the video, because according to another, uh, one that I found that one wasn't specifically mentioned, but one that was mentioned that we hadn't talked about was the codes asserted, this I'm going to read it specifically. The code's assertion density should average to minimally two assertions per function. Hmm. Right. Um, so again, like, you know, making it to where there's not like no more than two reasons why that, that function could be like, Nope, we're out of here. Right. O- only two reasons could at most could cause it to, you know, for there to be a, a, a reason to error out or desert out. But yeah. So uh, like I said, there'll be a link to this, um, this video and yeah, I thought they were interesting. I like it quite a bit. We've, we've often said on
0: this show, you know, Hey, we're not doing open heart surgery, but what if you were right? Like this is the kind of stuff that, that you would probably want to, to take into you know consideration like yeah, yeah we probably start. don't want an infinite loop while this thing's doing something you know um yeah this this is pretty neat
1: i don't know if a robot's operating on me i might want an infinite loop while not done <laughs> 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 keep working oh man so it got I hung don't know. up in the other thread there <laughs> yeah uh, maybe your use case depends i don't know Right. Um all right. So with that we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip. Yep. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> I had to throw you off there just to see. I was like, I've been doing it at the beginning of the show. What if I do it in the middle? Like what Did happens then? Yeah, I'm I'm catching on. I, I've
2: stopped the cold sweats and all that. I think I'm I think I'm growing. <laughs> nice. Uh, so for my tip, uh, a couple years ago, I mentioned, uh, an instrumental album that I really liked from a band called night versus called copper wasp. And it was great. I think it was 2019 maybe 2020. And, uh, I was really, you know, I, I was really excited about it. I liked it. Uh, I listened to it a lot and it was great working music, kept things moving and, and bumping and all instrumental metal, whatever. And uh, now they've gone and released a new album like last week. So uh, I just started listening to that, and I love it. It's great. You should check it out. It's it's all instrumental. It's great work music. And uh, if you're a fan of Tool, uh, the band Tool, uh, then the bass player guest starred on one of the tracks, which was pretty cool. Awesome. So you, should, you should listen. I bursts. see it features
0: Justin Timberlake, so that's, that's <laughs> excellent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep, That's him playing bass. It's great. <laughs> Wait. What? It doesn't. The, you know what i love how you just move my letters around to make them
2: line up with the line <laughs> he's a, a justin chancellor is the justin timberlake of the uh I, new metal world yeah i know i was just teasing
1: but yeah of course i had to align okay so in what 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 alan's referring to for those that didn't that don't know in the background like we have our show notes you know in like this rundown format of what we're going to talk about and like there'll be Somebody's initials next to a particular topic that we're going to discuss, you know, and it's not like we're reading necessarily verbatim. It's just like, you know, here's the idea of what we're going to do. Right. And then that, that'll become the input to the show notes that you eventually will see all pretty And Alan again here put his <laughs> initials on an empty line, this time in the wrong column. <laughs> I think this is payback for me. Not like saying things the way we had been since year one. He's like a little bit. Ah, little I'm bit. Gonna, Mike's <laughs> messing with my OCD. I'm going to
0: mess up his CDO. Oh man, dude, my wife. So this is funny. Like there's not many things that get me. Like the show has gotten me because we're like 200 episodes. <laughs> and Now we're going to change it. Uh, I walked into my bathroom the other night. Every drawer was open. Every door was open. And it's like everything I got to turn around and walk out of the bathroom. Like in me, I want to go close all the drawers, close all the doors, like put everything. I, I just, but she actually looked at me. She's like, you're not going to do it. I was like, no, I'm going to bed. Wait, did she leave them open on purpose uh, to mess with you? Not, not left them open, open them all, pulled them all out everywhere. Like all of them were open. And I looked at it and I was like, that's grounds I for divorce right there. That's like, I can't do, what kind this of monster would do that? that. I know, man, it was wrong.
2: It was wrong. Yeah. I do the same stuff to uh, to my wife is, uh, she's much more organized than me. So nothing makes me happier than like misspelling something in a really dumb way on like the grocery list or whatever. Cause I know like no matter how small it is, like what, you know, whatever it is, she's going to see it and it's going to drive her crazy. <laughs> i uh, frequently go to Publix and I'll see that she's scratched it out and like spelled it correctly. She just couldn't resist.
1: <laughs> I, I, if it had been me, I would have taken a picture of, of all of it. And then when she asked, why are you taking a picture? I'm like, well, this is exhibit a This is exhibit B. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I need these. Your honor. Uh,
0: that's amazing. That's all right. I'll go into her spice drawer and just move things around. And she, she can't, she can't do it. Right. Like it's all alphabetized and all that, which is insane. So, um, yeah. All right. So mine, I, I have a few. One of them popped up while we were doing the show because I, I went and searched and I don't guess I've shared this on the show. You mentioned the methods that are like 20 gazillion lines long, right? And, and they're, you can't do a pull request on it because there's no context. You can't possibly squeeze all that into your brain. One of the things that I found that I absolutely love. And IntelliJ specifically, and it's probably, my guess is, things like Visual Studio Code, probably all the other JetBrains tools, is you can actually view pull requests directly in the IDE. Now, the reason this is so good to me is if you go look at a pull request on GitHub, you know it shows you, I don't know, 20 lines on top and then 20 lines down below or whatever, and there's not enough context. And worse than that, unless you have one of the plugins set up in GitHub, it's really hard to navigate to different parts of the code, right? If you open up the, the pull request inside IntelliJ, it's right there with your project files and you can actually navigate to the other files by command clicking or control clicking, whatever you're on windows, Mac, whatever. It is absolutely fantastic. And I find for me anyways, if I have not a tiny pull request to review with people, I can bring that down and I can more easily and more contextually show people this is what I changed, right? And these are the files in the file system and this is how it goes. Love it. Have a link to their their page up there. And if I remember right off the top of my head, you can go up to Git, go down to view and it'll have pull requests. And as long as you have it hooked up to, you know, that Git area, then it'll show you all the pull requests and you can look at open ones. You can look at them by author. You can look at them by all kinds of tags. So it's pretty
1: excellent. So only because, uh, you know, of our, our one true love here, get visual studio code can do the similar thing.
0: Yeah, I figured it could, I haven't done it in there, but that's awesome.
1: And also I wanted to point out, like you were talking about the context in your pull request, but you know, or, or maybe you haven't like paid attention to it. There's little up down arrows in the pull request, yes. so you can expand the context. You can just keep clicking and oh, the eventually see the file. Oh, yeah. The file. So yeah. so context here being limited to like that that file, one. not necessarily like the project yep. necessarily.
0: So. But even that file gets annoying, right? Like, I mean, look, if we all had files that were only fifty lines long, that'd be amazing. But usually they're not. And, and you keep hitting those arrows up and down and you're like, man, really? So, but, but it is good to have them there. So at any rate, love that, that if you haven't used it, it's one of the reasons why I do like get integration into some of the IDEs. I don't really use it to do much else with it, but it is nice to see those changes. Um, all right. So one of our friends, John, he was on the show a long time ago. 101. Was it 101.
1: One hundred
0: and one hundred. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's been a little while. It, he wrote us the other night and he's like, oh man, this is so cool. I downloaded an a- I downloaded the llama AI model and did the same thing that you can do with chat GPT in the cloud. And I was like, I hadn't even considered it. Right. So if you didn't know, you can actually go download one of these large language models and run it locally, which is insane on Even on a not so powerful computer, you can download these things and run them because they've already been pre-processed, right? So you can ask these things, natural language questions and they'll work. So if you haven't heard of this, you can go to ai.meta.com slash llama and llama two is their latest one. And one of the things that was interesting that, that John also pointed out was this is free for everybody to use. You can use it personally. If you have a business you want to use it in, you can use it commercially. Like, there are no limits. You can use it, which is awesome.
1: It really kicks the llamas up. Wait, never mind. I'll stop. (laughs) Nice.
0: Um, So that was pretty cool. Well, when I went to download this thing, because I was like, well, now I need this, because, you know, why wouldn't you want to be able to ask any question on the planet to this thing locally? That led me to this thing that I'd never heard of, and I and I'm gonna feel silly because I have a feeling that Outlaws heard of this. Have you ever heard of Anaconda, guys? I have, yes. The
2: Python. Yeah. Have yes. you heard of it though? JC? Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't remember the deal though.
1: Okay, it's so- been a long time since I used it, but this was like the intro thing that you would use to get your data science environment up and running, or your machine learning like tool base up yeah, and I'm- running.
2: Yeah. I remember that with like the notebooks and stuff like Anaconda seemed to be what they recommended. Yep. Okay. So
0: that is it. And that'll get your Jupyter notebooks and all that stuff easy going. but it's crazy the amount of stuff in this thing. So essentially they, they tout themselves as the way to get started with data science, ML or AI type stuff. And the reason is like, if, if you click on the download link that I'll have there, this is what they say. It has a free distribution install. So it has installers for Windows, Linux, and Mac, which is, that doesn't happen on anything, which is pretty cool. They have thousands of the most fundamental data science, AI, and ML packages. Um, they manage environments. So we've talked about, sort of made fun of Python virtual environments of the past. You know, huh. I take it back. I take it back. Huh. Make fun of it. Tell me about that um, again this thing actually has its own virtual environment. So, so if you wanted to set up something that was running Python 3.8, you can have one environment over there. If you wanted to do something else that was totally dedicated to AI and whatever, you can have it set up another virtual environment over there. So this does it all for you. And when you download the thing, if you install it, it's tons and tons of tools and it's got a really nice UI to be able to get you set up and running pretty quick. So very cool. But to take it even a step further, you don't want to install it on local. You got a Chromebook or something. You don't have that much room. You can also run this thing in the cloud, which is super cool because when you do it in the cloud, they also give you five gigs of personal storage for free. You're not paying for this. You get a thousand daily seconds of compute. I hate it that they said seconds because then I was like, well, what does that mean? It's about 16 minutes of high speed compute is what they say. And then you also have access to data science or, yeah, data science courses. Not, not. I don't know if they're all tons of free ones or what, but you have access to it. So if you're trying to learn, this is a great way to get your feet wet doing this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, go check all that stuff out. It's really fun.
1: Yep. Okay, so for mine, um, this one is going to come from the world of, well, yeah, of course, Michael. Uh, so with that in mind, <laughs> so for the rest of us that, uh, you know, might not have been doing Java for like last 18 billion years. And especially if you come from like a visual studio environment. So, so here's the thing, like in a visual studio kind of world, right? Like be it, I don't care if it goes way back to like a visual C, uh, C rather, or you know, C sharp, I don't care, whatever. point is, is that for, since the beginning of time, there's been this concept of when you do a build, it would only build the things that changed. Right. And it's always bugged me that my Maven project in IntelliJ and I'll go over there to lifecycle and, you know, double click compile. And it's like, oh, well, let me start over from the beginning of time and recompile the world and burn burn down the planet while my laptop is on fire. Recompiling everything, right? Well, we were at a DevOps conference earlier this week, and one of the presenters there from Gradle talked about uh, cache build cache extensions, and he specifically mentioned one for for Gradle and Maven. But um, sadly, I only remember the one for Maven. But uh, <laughs> point is, is that both of them have this thing that you could super easily add to your pom file, and then boom, you immediately got this build cache to where now your Maven builds act like Visual Studio does out of the box, and only build recompile the things that have changed or whatever tree you know causes changes, and not necessarily the entire thing over and over and over every time. And so I know that like for those java developers that are like oh, come on michael that's stupid this one isn't for you just you know, like <laughs> this is this is for the person who's just starting out in their java development and they're like god why does it take so long every time here you go and add this see we're in the java world i have a feeling
0: it's not going to be like you know you're stupid why didn't you already know about this it's going to be like why aren't you using gradle like that, that's the, that's the attack you're going to get.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong there. And I really, <laughs> if I remembered the Grado one, I would include the link to it, but um, I didn't. So I didn't want to like go in my haste trying to find it. Um, Cause I was really trying to think back to like the, the, the talk itself to see if I could find it, but uh, I came up short. So I didn't, I didn't want to like give one that I didn't know to be like, correct. And then, you know, somebody say you mispronounced it. Right. Yeah. Not that that Most would ever text. happen live. Yeah,
0: no. Not here, for sure.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> we, we don't do that. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, that's the show. Dan. You know,
2: I was going to say uh, if you're if you're really talking with like a, a group of job developers you'll be like why are not you using Gradle and you say well I tried Gradle and they're like oh no you got to use Zabel it's like Gradle but they fixed that problem And someone else says yeah but no really there's actually two tools that replace that one there's uh, open Zabel and then there's zadel 2 uh which is just a fork of open Zabel cuz the guy left anyway it doesn't matter uh you should use that and you say well I looked at that but uh there were some problems with some config I couldn't get it to work someone says like wait why aren't you just using Maven and no, then you start the whole thing over again. <laughs> no, no, no.
1: You go to Zadel Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It actually has some Got additional capabilities.
0: Yeah. And then, and then the next version will be Zadel Boot. So, yes. yeah, it's all going to happen. Yeah.
1: Yes. And the cycle continues. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that's the show. The end. Bye.
0: <gasps> go to our Slack channel. <laughs> just go to Cody that Slash Slack. Do it. Do it now. Um, yeah, I don't know. What
2: else? That's yeah. fine. That's fine. <laughs> That's good. We got links on top of the page for other stuff. We do. Yeah. Yeah. All right.